0: You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, we are back. That's right. Advancing Our Church, a podcast focused to bring you new ideas, best practices, and stories of people who are advancing the mission of our church today. But wait, there's even more. We have an expanded charter and new resources that will take our show to the next level. So I recently began as a managing director for Changing Our World. And as a result, Advancing Our Church is now the official podcast of Changing Our World, Changing Our World is a world-class fundraising and social impact consulting firm, and they've been advising nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. They've worked with hundreds of Catholic organizations, parishes, dioceses, and nonprofits, taking them all to the next level. I've known the senior management at Changing Our World for a number of years, and I've always been impressed with the quality of their work. And I was very flattered to be asked to be on their team. And I'm even more excited that Advancing Our Church will be the official podcast of the firm. The reason that this is exciting for you is that it gives our podcast a national reach and even more resources to bring you the very best content and stories. And I'm excited to be your guide on this journey. So what's next? I want to hear from you. I know that many of you are working very hard and doing incredible things that would make a great story to share about your work in stewardship, advancement, fundraising, leadership. So send me an email. Tell me about your work. You can reach me at jfriend at changingourworld.com. That's J-F-R-I-E-N-D at changingourworld.com. You can also join Advancing Our Church's Facebook group, or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. It's all live. I hope to hear from you. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We are interviewing one of Changing Our World's clients, the National Society of St. Vincent de Paul, and they do such incredible work. I'm sure that many of you have come in contact with one of their 4,400 local conferences, which are usually stationed at a parish. But you may not have realized that all those conferences are actually part of a much larger network. Are you ready to learn more about them? All righty then. Now, let's get to work. Did you know that each day 800,000 Vincentians in 155 countries attend to the pain of those who suffer from the effects of poverty? The Society of St. Vincent de Paul represents one of the longest standing charitable organizations in the world. For more than seven generations, the Society's lay Vincentians have embodied the core values of love of God and love of neighbor, forming powerful networks of community leaders who grow together spiritually and help those in need to escape the devastating cycle of poverty. So some of the basic facts for this, 175 year history, 100,000 members of the National Council in the United States, and they provided, are you ready for this? $3.4 billion worth of service to the poor nationally. That's incredible. There are 4,400 local communities known as conferences. Perhaps there's one in your local parish and 435 thrift stores it's an incredible story and as a member of the changing our world team i was recently in st louis and i had the opportunity to talk with a couple of their board members and their ceo i hope i piqued your curiosity so let's get to that interview and find out more about the organization from a couple of their board members Well, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you here. We have uh, Ralph Middlecamp, who is the national president for the National Council of the St. Vincent de Paul Society. It's good to be with you. Welcome. And uh, Joe Minogue, you are the board chair of the fairly newly formed foundation supporting the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Welcome, Joe.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So glad to have you. Ralph, you've probably been a part of the organization, uh, one of the longer-term members, right? You have kind of the longer
2: view. About 35 years they've been. That, a I would
0: say that's a longer view. <laughs> and you come from the Madison, Wisconsin area. Yes. Fantastic. Well, maybe you can tell us, Ralph, just a little bit about um, your experience uh, with the Saint Vincent de Paul Society, how you got involved, maybe initially, and, and you know, how, how did you wind up here at the national level?
2: Got involved about almost 35 years ago. I, I'd been very involved in my community, uh, working with the homeless population, street alcoholics, and other uh, homeless people. Helped start a meal program. Uh, worked on uh, some emergency shelter issues. And some point, actually, was on the board of Catholic Charities and even uh, the President of the Board of Catholic Charities in the Madison Diocese, and when that term was done, I looked around for what was next, and and it occurred to me, well, the St. Vincent de Paul Society is the group that's supposed to be doing some of this work, and uh, I hadn't seen them present at all, and so I thought I'd go and infiltrate them and see if I could engage them. Well, instead. Pretty obviously, they infiltrated me. <laughs> and I found a real home there for the kind of work that I was doing. It brought several things to it. One is there was a spirituality in it. And working with people living in poverty, whatever type of poverty, it can be real burnout work if you aren't rooted into the reason why you're doing it. And that's one of the things that St. Vincent de Paul Society stresses is, is that it's the spirituality that motivates us to do it. Also, another element that's important to the society is the friendship, the community. of people doing this sort of charity you shouldn't be a lone ranger it's a community effort and it's it's not about uh, your own personal efforts so the society has a structure for that kind of support, both spiritually and the co workers and friendship. And I found this to be a real good home. The other thing then that I grew to appreciate is that it's an international organization. So in the United States, we're in over 4,000 parishes with groups. And I've gotten to be friends with people all over the United States who share the same values, want to do the same work, can share experiences, can share best practices. And now in my role as national president, I've developed the same friendships in countries all over the world, which <laughs> wow. is really
0: special. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And Joe, how did you uh, wind up getting involved?
1: Well, I had moved to Dallas, was looking for something to do that was besides work and coaching the kids' baseball and basketball teams. <laughs> and after Mass one day, went and looked around at some of the parish activities that were available and spoke to an older woman who said, you're going to love this. You'll get more out of it than you put into it. And I said, wow, okay, this sounds great. Started out and found out it was a great way to lean in and actually give something back to the community and realized very quickly that the woman was absolutely correct. You do get more out of it than you put into it. And it is hard work at times, uh, but it is immensely rewarding.
0: It's fantastic. What impresses me about the society is how it combines the spirituality of our Catholic faith with the work of charity. And that just seems to be so integral with the approach that you have through home visits and other kinds of, of ministries and supports. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: It's absolutely important. it's uh, it's a way to put your faith in action too. I, I, for years, I was also in the Ministry of liturgy, both as a musician and even for a brief period after college being a, a liturgical coordinator. And uh, that's all wonderful, important work, but it's it's internal, it's in-house. Uh, and this working with people living in poverty really stretches your faith. It, it It puts you out in the community. And in many ways, it's our Catholic Church at its best. Um, really living out the gospel. And it's easy to talk about that. It's easy to listen to the gospels in church, but to actually be present with the people and develop relations with the people, really, as Joe says, you get more out of it than you put in, but it also really tests your faith sometimes. What can we do? Why did this happen? What, am I, do I have any ability to help? And As I go on home visits, and very often I come away with lots of things to pray about, my prayer life is a lot richer having had these experiences. I don't just pray for good weather for the family picnic anymore. I pray for people who <laughs> are really suffering uh, and and I see injustice and poverty. and So it puts the gospel very much in my
0: life. It's tremendous, Ralph. For those uh, who may be listening who aren't familiar with what a home visit is, can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like or, or Joe?
1: Sure. It's actually one of the best charisms of the, the ministry and the basis of what we do. and We are invited by folks in our local community who are in need to come into their home and to visit with them, learn a little bit about the challenges that they have in life. And as a group, we go in twos and try to give them hope is ultimately our best gift in, As in, at the end of the day. We do that in a couple of different ways. One, by showing that we care and praying with them. We also uh, will provide money in, in the instances where money actually can help solve some of the daily challenges they have. So somebody may have been out of work for a while because of an injury, and they need to pay the rent. They may have a medical bill that they just can't meet because of their circumstances and you we'll know, be in a position to potentially help at the local level. So these are our neighbors that we're helping. And when we are invited into their home, the dialogue is very different. We don't show up with the clipboard and take down notes of, gee, are you qualified? And you know here's the 20 questions that we have to ask to determine whether you're qualified. And at the end of the day, we'll let you know if, it, if it's okay, if you've met the parameters. It's more of a conversation around what can we do to help each other in the process, as well as uh, address the particular circumstances that the individuals have, and, and at their invitation of join them, at, uh, usually at a kitchen table, to have that conversation. It's
0: beautiful. What are some of the, the biggest challenges that you guys are finding just kind of at the national level, maybe some of the universal themes? As I understand it, there are almost 4,500 councils nationally. What are you seeing as some of the, the biggest challenges uh, or biggest opportunities for the organization? <laughs> How long do we have?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's a
0: free media. We can keep it. No, oh, I no. Well, I <laughs> No,
2: we'll, uh, no it's, yeah. it's telling our story to invite uh, yeah. people who would enjoy it just as much as we do is, is probably one of the challenges. Yeah. Our membership is aging. It's less diverse than we would like it to be. It's less diverse than the church is, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a, a constant challenge because poverty is changing. I think the the experience of, of people in poverty today is, is very different than it was even 20 years ago, uh, and, and the demands of a fast-paced culture we live in, uh, really, uh, when, when you are, are on a social structure that everything is, is, a, is a challenge for them, to try uh, finding some hope, as Joe said, to offer them, it's really difficult. Uh, and so it, it's easy to be discouraged when you, you know, when you see it's not just about a bag of food anymore, it's, it's children in crisis. You've got addiction issues uh, many other things going on. So that, that's a national basis. We hear those stories from everywhere. Uh, also, just finances. Some of the ways we've funded as, as the Catholic Church uh, loses membership, quite frankly. That affects our volunteer base. It affects our ability. The, the parishes have very often been very generous in supporting in our, our ministries. And uh, as the church changes, we have to change, too. Mm-hmm.
0: How about you, Joe? What are you you seeing uh, as a relatively new board chair for the foundation? What do you think are some of the opportunities that, that lay ahead for us?
1: Well, one of the challenges that we're trying to address at the foundation level is to how to broaden our message so that we can reach out and touch people, not just at our local community level that focus on local community issues, uh, but can have the ability to focus on larger conversations. What what can we do at the national level to empower the growth of the organization into the future? And that's what we're hoping to do with coming up with ideas, programs, initiatives at the foundation level that would be able to support uh, some of the growth of the organization. And of course, that's going to involve money, but it's also going to involve talent. And and we're looking to cultivate and and fish from the national talent pool, which is huge in this country. And you <laughs> We probably haven't tapped it yet, um, and we're looking forward to tapping that going forward.
0: Absolutely, and and one of the things we're working on with you is maybe some of that messaging, and maybe trying to expand that a little bit, expand the the ranks, which is exciting. One of
2: the things that, for years, the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul was almost seen as a secret organization. It was really never meant to be that, right? Uh, but several years ago, the bishops from Rome came and gave a talk at our national meeting. He, talk, he talked about he said, the members of the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul really are going at that part of the gospel that says, if your right hand does charity, the left hand shouldn't know what it's doing. He says, Mm -hmm. you really live that humility out, but you're really terrible about the other part that says, don't put your light under the bushel basket. (laughs) Uh, uh, And we've done that uh, for years. We we really have not been too good at telling the communities the story of what we do. Um, And and some of it also has to do with a a unique thing in the United States that uh, there was a time in which... Catholics made up a good portion of who was poor in this country and uh, the immigrant populations. So in many of the large cities, a good part of who was poor were the Catholics. And so there was a reason for us to keep ourselves hidden so that when a neighbor was visited by the two guys from the church, people didn't know, oh, they're getting charity. But I I think going forward, we need to be more present in our communities because otherwise, how will people know that they could join us and put their faith into action? How do people know that we're a place that is very effective in, in terms of use of money. We, those uh, f- uh, those 4,000 parishes have over 100,000 members that spend time volunteering. So the resources that we have are, are, are stretched, uh, provide great resources directly to the people we serve. So if we don't start telling our story a little better through the foundation and some of our councils, I'm, I'm afraid we're missing the opportunity to serve our neighbors. And need as effectively as we could mm-hmm.
0: well it's fantastic that you have created this foundation that is kind of forward-looking in that direction and then Ralph your your role is uh, is overseeing the councils the 44 or 4500 councils roughly or acting as that chair
2: how, how does that all work? Well, it's a very bottom-up organization. Uh, we uh, are active uh, in those communities. And one of the saying of the founders was, there's no work of charity that is foreign to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, which which sounds great, but it means that we probably have 500 different <laughs> kind of activities. And how, right. how do you tell that story? Yeah. Uh, but we also have a governance structure that is very grassroots-based. Uh, and so uh, on a national level, we try try sharing best practices. We try uh, revitalizing places where we're, where we're losing membership and, and where we're uh, getting a little weaker. But we also want to take some of the things we do very well in, in major councils around the country and extend those uh, to every one of our communities. And that's a major role that the National Council can play. We also provide a lot of resources in terms of, of spirituality. Uh, there's a just a richness of, of Catholic rights and thought on serving the poor, of growing in holiness through this type of work. Uh, some through the Vincentian family, St. Vincent de Paul, Blessed Frederick Ozanam, uh, uh, Sister Rose, they uh, When you read their writings, it's like they were written last week for us, in the same way <laughs> that reading Mother Teresa's work. Uh, uh, but these are were written 400 years ago, not right. 20 years ago. And, and so to uh, put ourselves in contact with, with that spirituality through research Sources provided by the National Council is very helpful to our local chapters uh, throughout the country, as well as coming to meetings and and sharing the best practices and growing in friendship. Fantastic. Is there uh,
0: the the, the essential piece of this is the humanistic part, the, the, the service to people, people helping people? Is there one particular? story or couple or family that you may have interacted that uh, really stuck with you, that made an impact on, on either one of you?
1: Well, there, there are several cases, but um, the families that I've worked with over the years are and the ones that are most impactful on me are working with those families for a prolonged period of time, and we're focusing on the idea of systemic change. And, and that requires, in some cases, a prolonged set of um, support and relationship uh, with folks that we're helping. And watching the family grow and seeing the children then graduate uh, through high school and into college um, and going off and being able to support their own families going forward. So you see this generational shift out of poverty, um, and that has been the most impressive uh, and impactful thing for me from a, uh, a not only a spiritual point of view in terms of you know having the faith and f- driving me forward, because as Ralph mentioned before, this is not easy work at times and when we get together in fellowship um and, and celebrate the spirituality of what we're doing and, and the and the ministry, it, it re energizes everybody. And when you're talking to a family over a period of seven to ten to fifteen years, um, you need a little energy along the way. Uh and and that really is having that spirituality grow within us um and the energy from joining forces with other folks that are thinking like us and and quite frankly being energized by the folks that we work with that that we serve um, these folks are dealing with huge challenges, and they persevere. And so at the end of the day, if they can persevere through some of these challenges, then some of the annoyances that we have on a day to day basis as we're watching the news or trying to get to the next meeting um, and are stuck in traffic, um, really becomes um, you know pretty minor at the end of the day. And so the impact for me has really been working with folks over a prolonged period of time and watching them grow. Um, and, and become much more self-sufficient and confident in how to approach problems in their lives going forward.
0: It's fantastic. Thanks, Joe. How about you, Ralph? Anything? Anyone? Family uh, stick out so for many. you?
2: I'm sure so many so over the many. years. Thirty-five years probably one of the there's been great stories of seeing people's kids and and seeing the hope that's there Uh, another aspect of it though that it is in the relationships to be honest about it and uh, I think some of the most meaningful ones have been times when I listen to someone tell heartbreaking stories uh, challenges, and at the end of the conversation, to, to to tell them, I don't have anything for you. I mm. uh, I can't get you. There, there's 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 nowhere to send you to to live tonight, to get a job, to to whatever. And in some ways, that puts me in touch with my own poverty. You know, we all want to be the helpers. We all want to be the problem solvers. Uh, but it's sometimes to just be honest with the person and say, I really feel sorry for you, or I empathize with you, or, I'm here. You know. Um, but I don't have anything to give. Mm. Uh, that's really hard. Uh, and, and it's a reality that we often want to avoid, um, but it, it's the nature of it. But there's also the, all the wonderful relationships. Uh, uh, one of my favorites, this is kind of an odd one, but a woman I knew for years and through the stores, she'd always have complaints, and we'd helped her with everything. You'd give her a basket of food, or whatever, and she'd complain that you gave her green beans instead of corn, you know what <laughs> And, you know, she really did need it. I don't want to take anything away, but one day she came up to me and she said, "Ralph, like, you know, she said, God gave me the gift of poverty so I can complain." <laughs> <laughs> and how can you not love a woman that has such understanding of herself? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but but that's just one anecdote. You, these are people. It's very often in the news or whatever. You 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 make broad strokes about who these people are and whether they use the system or Could they do something? But each one of them is a person with a story, and it's, uh, it isn't until you have a relationship with someone that you can really even begin to understand uh, where they've come and, and where they are now. And every so often, you run you, people; they, they will tell stories about, "Oh, I'm homeless because I want to be," or "I did this, that." Well, they're not going to tell you their real story until you have a relationship. Right. I mean, who's going to say, "Oh, I've..." You know, I drank and I lost my family. I'm a miserable person. No, they're gonna say, no, I'm okay, but they're not. Yeah, um, and I'm not. I mean, we all have wounds. We're all sinners. Um, one of the spirituality things that I, uh, we work on is, is that uh, a, a priest made a good point about it. Sometimes we complain about the people come to us again and again uh, for the same things and can't you get out of it and, and uh, the, the priest said, well I hear a lot of confessions and I know people come back with the same thing right. <laughs> multiple times. I go, oh yeah, I certainly fall in that category, <laughs> but why is it that we judge poor people who oh, can't get out of their traps when we can't get them our own. Stamps. Sure. Absolutely. But that's the spirituality. I grow in my spirituality. And I can reflect on that.
0: Well, there are some things like addictions that affect people of all absolutely. You know, all races, all classes, all you know, everything. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um. You know, Ralph, you mentioned at the beginning uh, we are kind of one of these, or St. Vincent de Paul is really one of those uh, best-kept secrets. What do you think? Uh. Either Joe or Ralph, what would um, what do you think would surprise people that they don't already know about? Uh, the society and the good work that you guys are doing, what do you think what might surprise them that they, they might not already know?
1: Well, for one, um, we raise a lot of money and spend a lot of money on serving those in need. Um, and, and Ralph has talked about this uh, several times as well. Um, you know, as part of the best kept secret, we're, you know, we're huge in housing and taking care of homeless folks. And yes, we're huge in stores. We have lots of stores and Uh, huge in food pantries and stuff, and most people just don't appreciate that um, at the local level we don't feel very significant, but then you add 4,400-plus parishes together, and all of a sudden uh, we become a real force uh, in this country and and throughout the world, now 155 countries, uh, for really tackling poverty and, and helping those in need in our communities. And you don't truly appreciate that, I don't think, as an individual member when you're walking in to do that one home visit, you know, a couple blocks down from where you live um, and you really have to take a step back sometimes. And that's why the, the fellowship that we practice in our meetings is so important because not only do you get re-energized uh, in, in the work that we do, uh, but you also get a bigger picture of, well, gee, you know, you were one person that contributed to somebody's solution and did move the ball ahead a little bit, but there were, you know, a hundred thousand of us doing the same thing that day. And so collecting uh, we moved the ball and, and made people's lives better significantly um, just within that one day, but we don't really understand that. We don't see that from sure. where we stand. Sure.
2: Anything to add to that, Ralph? Two things. One is yeah. the collective impact, Joe, I think sure. you mentioned. It's really important we tell each other stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we spend over $75 million annually just on home shelters mm-hmm. in the United States, and, and there's so many things we do. Um, the other piece is that international scene. The, the church is universal, and we are too, and so the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, a lot of people wouldn't guess where we're our strongest. We we're, were started by France by college students, also mm. is surprising to some people. We were mm. started by six college students at the Sorbonne, like 20 years after the French Revolution, after Napoleon died, uh, we, we were started. But uh, our most members are in Brazil. Mm. And people will never guess where the second most members are. It's India, uh, which I think tells you that we're on the ground helping neighbors in need right where poverty actually is be it in a local parish, in, in a city, or in a rural community, or in India, uh, when the society reaches out to, to the poor, we're not helicoptering in. Uh, we're going down the block in our parish and seeing what our neighbors are, are needing and suffering, and how we can grow in our spirituality and in our Catholic life by being present to them. And, and that
0: you bring up an interesting point, you know, in in our in the Catholic tradition, there's the law of subsidiarity, and And those things that can be
2: done local should be done local. And you guys really practice that at St. Vincent Paul. We really do. And some of the things we do, if if it came on from high, from headquarters here in St. Louis – we would never have some of the programs we have from Madison, Wisconsin and just north of us in a count of 8,000 people. Well, there's a wonderful operation uh, that has a heroin house, a, a very active uh, thrift store. They have a dental clinic. They do a prescription program. Mm. Uh, w- w- matter of fact, it's, it's sometimes people would visit Madison thinking they're going to see great works and then they tell us all the reasons why they can't do it in, in their town. Right? So so let's go have lunch up in this town. I said, do you think you could do what they do with this town with 8,000 people when you go back to name a big city but it is the subsidiarity principle at work the people in there found needs that needed to be done and, and they found the resources and talent and, and faith to do it
0: and if uh, if someone were listening to this podcast and they were interested in getting more information or getting involved in your organization what would you what would you recommend
2: go on the web to our national council website and find a phone number for the national nail send you that's the easiest it's Sure. SVDP USA Org, mm-hmm. uh, office here in St. Louis. We take calls all the time and can refer people. And probably you'll start working with a local council and maybe even in your own parish, there's a conference. And, and if there's not one, start one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
0: great idea. I'm sure there are a lot of organizations within parishes that are doing similar pieces, but to network them together through uh, this national organization is really something special. And from what I have learned about your organization, that it, the central office does provide support to the local council. Councils to make them stronger. That's its function. Yeah, good. Well, Joe, Ralph, thank you very much well, for uh, being for being James. with us today thank on you. one of our first podcasts. So grateful to have you and grateful to be a part of the St. Vincent de Paul story. We thank you. God bless thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with those guys. They have such dedication and passion for this work. So before we continue with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, I'd like to take just a short break and begin a new segment where I introduce you to some of the amazing people who work at Changing Our World. And who better to start with than our own CEO, Mr. Brian Crimmins. As CEO, Brian is responsible for the overall management of our firm. He oversees all aspects of our service lines, including nonprofit services, corporate research and analysis, and digital. Brian Crimmins, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on today.
3: Pleasure, Jim. Glad to be on.
0: So, uh, why this podcast now? Uh, the I, I understand that CW is celebrating our 20th anniversary. Tell us a little bit about
3: that. Thanks, Jim. We are. It's a great honor for us as a firm to be able to be celebrating our 20th anniversary. Um, it's amazing to think how, how far we've come in a short amount of time, um, but Junior World has had a long history of partnering with leading Catholic institutions across the country, and I'm very hopeful that this podcast will allow us to continue to be a leading voice, but also to bring some of our great partners over the Years, our friends who are doing some great work on the ground um, to this medium as a podcast, and really learn from each other as we go forward.
0: And and you know, Brian, I, I know that you're Catholic, raised Catholic. Tell us a little bit about you know why is this uh, why is this work have been so important to you since you you came to the firm? You came actually. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you come as an intern? Did I hear that correctly?
3: (laughs) I did. I did. So great segue for a personal question. I I had the fortunate pleasure of beginning at Changing Our World as an intern. Yeah. Um, And uh, so truly can say I came up the ranks of Changing Our World and playing um, every sort of role and had every imaginable imaginable role internally and externally with our clients. But as you said, Jim, someone who was personally raised in the Catholic faith and and educated, one of uh, nine children, been a real honor throughout my career to partner with Catholic clients um, from the very beginning all the way to today and and hopefully beyond. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm excited for us to be committing through our client service and through our ability to provide thought leadership and convene leaders through the Catholic Church. This podcast is going to be an extension of that continued work, and it's why I'm personally um, excited to to be a part of it as well.
0: Well, I know uh, even before I came on board uh, with the firm that, uh, you know, I I often would listen to your thought leadership pieces. You had uh, webcasts, you had uh, uh, different conference calls. And so I'm hoping that, you know, this show can be kind of an extension of that.
3: Absolutely, Jim. And I, you know, you coming on board has been terrific. And as you said, you know, you and I had had a chance, obviously, to know each other for, for years before you joined the team here at Changing Our World. And um, you know what you're you're bringing and actually leading the changing our world advancing our church podcast um well as I said earlier really enable us to enge- continue engaging leaders throughout the Catholic Church through the podcast for at least us at changing our world. This will be a new way in which we can engage uh, others, but you know it, it is the continuation of something that we've always tried to be committed to and I've been very proud about, which is the, for us to enable to have a dialogue uh, where we continue not only to support each other. Um, but to raise the awareness of the great work that Catholic communities are doing all around the country and around the globe. And so looking forward to that in the weeks, months, and the years ahead via this podcast.
0: Fantastic, Brian. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And I know we're going to have you on in just a couple of weeks when we, uh, when we meet uh, in your home diocese of Rockville Center and chat with Bishop Barris and Larry Bossidy.
3: Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to look, be a real honor, as you said, in my home diocese. And Jim, thanks you for your leadership on this as well.
0: Thanks again, Brian. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Brian. Dave Berenger is the CEO of the National Society of St. Vincent de Paul. He has more than 30 years in leadership roles for both nonprofit and for-profit organizations. I recently had the opportunity to speak with Dave and learn more about the society and his role as the CEO. And here's what Dave had to say. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dave. So glad to have you here with us.
4: Thanks for having me on, Jim.
0: I thought maybe we could just start for our listeners. uh, Have you maybe explain a little bit about the organization, uh, its history, and what makes uh, the Saint Vincent de Paul Society so unique through its, you know, its Vincentian spirituality? It's, you know, he was the patron saint of the poor, uh, and so many people around the country have embraced this spirituality and become a part of the organization. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the organization today.
4: Well, St. Vincent de Paul himself was a, a Catholic priest in France, in the Paris area, in the 1600s. But the society named for him was actually created 200 years later. During his lifetime, Vincent uh, dedicated his life to serving the poor and was also a great organizer. So he actually founded the Congregation of the Mission, which is the Vincentian Order of Priests as well as the Ladies of Charity, a lay network of uh, layperson women, and the Daughters of Charity, which is the uh, order of women religious. And so during his lifetime, he, he did quite a bit to establish religious orders specifically related to their work in serving the poor. So about 200 years later, in 1833, there was a group of college students in Paris who were asked what is the Catholic Church doing at this time of great, you know, political and and uh, economic strife in France, and uh, specifically, you know, the Catholic Church was under attack for sort of being there but not known for what they were doing. And so, uh, a group of college students, about age 20, led by a young man named Frederick Ozenham, worked with their uh, advisor, uh, Bayev was, was his name, to create a uh, conference of charity. Uh, at first, there was a group that, that talked about the, the churches, uh need to exist and to, and to serve the poor in Paris. But then they decided they needed to do more than that, so they formed a group that would go in pairs to the poorest sections of Paris and provide food and firewood and, and even legal services for uh, poor people who, for example, one of the, the very first things that was needed was a woman who was in a abusive marriage, and so they helped her to get a a divorce, and then the other uh, resources needed to have her life be in order. So so from the very beginning, the group was creative in terms of how it would serve people who had various emergencies of housing, food, and clothing, and, and other uh, medical necessaries, and so forth. So from that conference of six young men, it quickly grew, uh, first in France and then in the United States. In the United States, uh, in 1845, there was a group in St. Louis at what they call the Old Cathedral, right under where the St. Louis Arch is today. It took the lessons from Paris and, at that point, several other countries, specifically Ireland, and they looked at how the society was formed and said, we can do this here. There's certainly a need with poverty and so forth, so we want to help. All along the way, though, what makes us unique is that we're not just a group that serves the poor. Very basic to our mission is our uh, trying to attain holiness and getting closer to God in our work. In fact, our mission statement starts with that uh, spirituality, and then we accomplish that that path to holiness, if you will, through our work uh, with people in poverty. So it's very much a twofold mission statement of both spirituality and service. It's a lay organization. We work not um under the church itself, but with the permission of the local pastor and of the bishop in the diocese to operate as an independent entity. So we have our own officers, our own budgets, um our own ways of doing things, but very much in concert with and at the uh, behest, if you will, of the, the local clergy, because those poor people in the area belong to those parishes, or maybe they don't. And so we serve all people, uh regardless of their, their faith or ethnicity or anything else, um, but we're of great service to the, uh, local pastor who might otherwise get those calls from people in need in, in his neighborhood. So that's what I think what makes us unique. We're in right now 4,400 parishes or about a third of the parishes in the United States. And we work, uh, with parishes closely and then with our conferences. That, that's the parish group that we call. They work among conferences to create councils at the diocesan level. And that's the groups that might organize thrift stores, food pantries, housing, other larger scale operations that would be uh, too much to handle for one parish.
0: That's tremendous. And, and I'm sure that uh, as, you, as you move around the country, you have these councils in, in, in many, almost probably most dioceses. Each of them probably has different challenges that they're facing based on where they're located in the United States and the, and the different levels of
4: poverty that they're experiencing. Right, and poverty can come from many different areas. For example, some people are in poverty because of a natural disaster. Sometimes it's uh, generational poverty. One interesting thing we found out just recently is that almost a third of people who come to us have someone in their family who's incarcerated. So when Dad, for example, goes to prison, Mom and the kids may be coming to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul for help. And so once we've made that connection, it, it makes it more critical for us and those we advocate to to recognize that connection and to uh, work directly with people in prison as part of our home visits. Their home happens to be that prison. And to work with them before reentry into the community, help them to get into stable housing, help them to find a job, to do other things to help ensure that they won't be going back to prison because that's their only option. Um, Meanwhile, while people are incarcerated, those families have unique uh, circumstances that we can help with. Beyond that though there's you know just chronic poverty generational poverty where uh the people especially the younger people don't know any other lifestyle and so they're missing the the tools and experiences that middle class Americans might take for granted you know what do you do when you're you think you're ready to go to college is college even an option how how do you um function in society, in the workplace. If you don't have anyone in your family who's been in that situation recently, you're really lost. Sure. And so we can provide that mentoring you know, relationship and putting you in touch with resources in the community that, again, because of poverty, you may not even know exist. So often our Vincentians are the, the bridge, if you will, the human bridge, not only for friendship, but also to resources that might be in the church and the government, to other social service agencies. And to help people to recognize, hey, here are some resources that they, they may be free, you're eligible for them, let's let's get you the help that you need. And when possible, not just provide a, a Band-Aid, if you will, of emergency services, but to try to help your family get out of poverty altogether. That would be our our, our goal, if we could, is to not have people come back to us anymore because they don't need us anymore.
0: So, Dave, I, I would think that there uh, are such tremendous needs are around the country. And, uh, you know, for example, um, when you look at uh, Los Angeles, um, you know, I, I had heard in speaking with some of your volunteers uh, that, that there's uh, that they release prisoners sometimes at two or three o'clock in the morning. So identifying and, and then that person, when they're released from prison, they don't have anywhere to go. Um, and I, w- I was hearing this beautiful story about how you have a group of volunteers is actually stationed outside the prison waiting for folks to be released so they get have a place they can make a phone call, they can get some clean clothes, they have a couple bucks in their pocket and get to where they need to be so they're not, you know, subjugated predators and those folks that are waiting for people to be released in the middle of the night. So interesting how each of these probably unique stories around the country has evolved like that.
4: Yeah, and, and I wish it was more unique than that, Jim. It, it, it amazes me and, and discourages me that someone who's been in prison for months or years is let go as if it was a brand new idea and right. they had no time to prepare for it, no time to uh, line up resources or even to, to get a ride. You know, literally they're they're dropped off outside the gate with a, a couple of bucks and, and no um, transportation. So uh, at times we, working with others or on our own, we're that, that bridge to help them to get out. We know that the first... 48 hours is so critical to a person either not going back to prison or going back. And so we want to make that as as successful a a launch, if you will, back into the community as possible. And so this involves family, friends, community resources, employers, housing, a lot of things. And and of course, if you don't even know you're getting released till the last minute, you don't have time to make those plans, you're probably overwhelmed, there's a, a flood of emotions, some very good, of course, to be free. Sure. Um but some very scary, depending on how long you've been inside. So um, if we can help with that, you know, that's just a small part of our work and our total of work, but we're seeing, again, that relationship with others that are coming to us for service. So we know that every time we help one person coming back out of prison, we're helping the whole family that's behind him or her. And
0: how is it uh, kind of nationally, Dave, because you have the bird's eye view, um, you know, just in statistics, uh, are, is, um, are, are the needs getting greater every year? Uh, is there, what are the resources in government funding compared to what they were maybe a few years ago? Uh, how how are you seeing the needs evolve over
4: time? Well, the uh The the need pretty much is, as they say in the Bible, the poor will always be with us. So there are always people in need. The type of need changes. Um, Homelessness changes community by community uh, based on uh, legal situations. Immigration is obviously a a huge impact right now where people are coming to us um, from other countries who don't have resources but have needs right away. Um, And then in every community there's a a circumstance. It might be a natural disaster. It might be a, a change of an employer leaving town layoffs, things like that. So that that constantly changes. Fortunately right now we're in a better environment than we have been. Uh, jobs are plentiful, even jobs that don't uh, require you to have a high school uh degree or, or college. Um, you know, if if you're breathing, you can work right now in some communities. And so we're we're trying to make those matches where we can. Um government programs are actually in better shape than they've been in a lot of areas, uh whether it's federal or state and local uh food resources other community resources that are employment centered uh we're starting to see some movement positively with health care and child care uh transportation resources because all of those things are make a big impact on a, on a person's ability to not only get a job but to keep a job a lot of people leave because something's wrong in their family there's a sick kid um they don't have reliable transportation increasingly with the baby boom generation it's not the children at home that are concerned it's our parents hmm. and so how do we how do we care for the rest of the family if we're the only working person we might be the only uh, income we might be the only uh, uh, person with the uh, transportation ability and so forth and so employers are recognizing this the government's recognizing this and other social services like us um faith based or not are changing the way that we do business to reflect the the reality of the situation, whether it's nationally or locally we have We have no choice we have to do what we can do
0: sure and and you know you mentioned a lot of those other organizations, and you know if somebody's listening to the podcast and uh, they don't know that much about the St Vincent de paul society uh what do you think sets you apart you know from other organizations that serve the needs of the poor?
4: I think first and foremost it's our being rooted in our faith. Uh, we don't evangelize, so to speak, when we go out, but that, that Catholic zeal is within us, uh, our humility. Um, as we say, we see the face of Christ in those we serve. And so we're, we're helping people, but we're also helping ourselves. I have volunteers around the country all the time who say, I get. So much more out of this than I put into it as a volunteer, because they're more than just a volunteer. This is part of their faith life to get closer to their own spirituality by by helping others. And so I think that sets us apart. We're not a uh, a well organized machine. Sometimes as a result of that, because we're we're people helping people one on one or or really two on one. The other thing that really sets us apart is what I'll call a home visit. This has been part of this society since it was formed in that we go in pairs to be with people where they live. So you don't come to us as a service center. You don't come to a a building somewhere and get, you know, a number and a place in line. You call us and we we arrange for a visit to your home. And so that relationship changes because we're working as friends, not as clients. We don't even use that word client in our own lexicon. They're friends in need or neighbors, because that's indeed who they are. They might be living right down the street. Or uh, somewhere in our parish community, right? I think that perspective that that we're given by being with people where they live, understanding not just their need that they express but what other needs and what other environmental factors are there, uh, sets us apart in many ways from a lot of other groups doing good work in the community.
0: Where are you seeing uh, growth, Dave uh, with your councils? Are you still having new councils formed uh, around the country? Well most of our growth would be at the
4: at the conference level. Which is at the individual parish level. Right. We're, we're seeing some really exciting growth in our young adult groups, which, uh, as we define this, basically, uh, 18 to 40 is our young adults. Uh, many of our members are, are much older than that, but they have, a an excitement that comes with youth. Uh, what's different though is their ability to participate. The generations today don't sign on for something for the rest of their life as we did a hundred years ago in mm-hmm. our society. Now it's like I can give you time next Saturday and then ask me again and I'll give you some time next Tuesday. So it's event-based, not vocation-based as much. So we're changing how we're organized to still keep within our vocation, but also to allow for that flexibility as new people come to us so that we can be uh, cognizant of their needs and their, their family situations, but still give them the opportunity to help without committing to the rest of their life to come to a meeting every Tuesday afternoon. that, that sure. kind of an environment. So we're finding that that's allowing us to grow. A lot of our growth, too, that we're, we're pushing ourselves is in uh, more diverse communities. Uh, for many years, we were a uh, Caucasian, older American type of a group. But as the nature of the Catholic Church has changed, we want to reflect that change and the changes in our communities as well. So We're trying to be more and more open, far beyond just doing language translation of materials to, um, seeing the cultural differences be- between, say, a, uh, uh, Protestant based, not Protestant in our case, Catholic based, um, white Anglo-Saxon type of a group to a uh, Hispanic culture that, that's new into the neighborhood. So we're, we're trying to see where we have Things in common. See what things are, are different. For example, with and it's a great example is with the um, some of the Hispanic members that are coming into more and more parishes. When they volunteer, it's a family base. The entire family comes with them. Previously, we may not have done that. It might have been more of an individual based. So we're looking at okay, how can we involve the the kids and grandma and everybody in between uh, in in our work? And there are roles that everyone can play, no doubt. So uh, we're, we're looking at that and and. Using that to create some internal changes to make us more welcoming of a society of St. Vincent de
0: Paul. And it's working. It's fantastic. Uh, engaging young people is such a critical need, uh, in the, in the church today as, as is, uh, engaging the growing, uh, Latino community around the country. That's, that's fantastic, Dave.
4: Yeah. And it's other populations as well. I, I mean, every, every community, uh, has, has a different populace. In my, conference where I'm a member here in St. Louis. Uh, we speak about 20 different languages, and we have ethnicities from every continent in the world. So we don't want anyone to feel left out. We're serving everyone from that, that diverse background. So we think the people doing the service should reflect that as well. And it's an important part of parish faith life, and we hope that it's an important part of their society membership as well. Well, and I'm sure that you know some people
0: might think, well, they're a Catholic organization; they probably just serve Catholics. But I'm sure you serve Catholics and non-Catholics alike.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we don't even ask if if we're there and we see a, a cross in their living room, we might ask if they'd like to pray together. But even that, there's there's not a Catholic test to get <laughs> services. We 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 don't we don't judge on their faith or lifestyle or anything else. If if a person has a need, we try to fill it. That that's. That's as far as we go. So if you were to ask me, you know, what are the demographics of the people you serve? I couldn't tell you Hmm. because it's not important to us. All we know is that it's someone who needs our help, and we just take it from there. It's
0: fantastic. Where do you see the organization growing over the next five years, Dave? Where where do you see some of the greatest needs?
4: Well, we've got some exciting programs that that come from those needs, Jim. Uh, One is in uh, looking at housing. Everything from what we call eviction prevention, which is maybe paying your rent for one month to help you catch up on other bills, uh, to looking... From there to affordable housing and long-term housing. There's a growing movement across the United States, not just through the society called Housing First, which says basically, let's get you into stable housing and then we can work on all the other issues that you might have, your other challenges. But unless you have a home, the stress and the financial picture is so severe just dealing with that, that it's hard to deal with anything else. Uh, two other programs we're just launching right now. One is called Immersion, which is a, a prisoner reentry service like i was talking about earlier mm-hmm. uh and then linked to that is a workforce development program we call back to work where we uh recruit if you will people from our home visits from our reentry services and other places to say hey you might be a great candidate to work in a tradesman type of job maybe it's working on uh, heating and air conditioning or a plumber or construction truck driver jobs that typically don't need a college degree but if you're um you know, a- able to, to learn and you, you can get a good work ethic. Maybe you might need to have a, a high school equivalency. Some do, some don't. We can get you into a job now that's paying a very good wage and that's a permanent solution to your poverty issue. So again, if we can get you into a, a situation where you don't need to come back to us, we consider that a great win. So right now with, with a very conducive workplace economy and, and employers more willing than ever to uh, look at different populations of potential employees and to uh, not to bend the rules but to change the rules to allow people they may not have considered applicants before to be good employees. Um, we're, we're trying to take advantage of that.
0: And there, is, uh, there, there must be quite a network then uh, in your organization to be able to provide those jobs where you can reach out into the community or maybe in other Vincentian societies around the, around the country.
4: Well, again, because we're so community-based grassroots, we yeah. tend to know where the jobs are because we sure. live in that community. So there's not like a set of national employers that we work with. They mm-hmm. tend to be uh, locally based. Now, it might be a, a union or a, a, a trades group that's working together among employers, and that can be very helpful. Of course, we work closely with the um, government agencies that are workforce development-based, and they have resources of employers, to, and they can they can be a nice uh, go-between to help us to find those employers. Uh, and then what the best thing is is that when you hire one of our people and they do a great job, you're more likely to hire the next person, right? So there's a a trust that trust that builds up from that. And and that's just at the beginning, but it's very, very encouraging. That's great. Dave, what do you love most about your job? I love that I know that I'm helping people, growing my own faith, and and feel like whether it's the end of the day or the end of the year, like I'm really helping to make a difference. I'm helping people that I'll never meet But I, I know that their family is better off because of the work that I do on the, you know, the infrastructure administrative end. I'm, I'm not able and it would be impossible for me to meet every single person we reach. But I've got a hundred thousand fantastic Vincentians who are volunteering their time to spread the word on the gospel in many cases, as well as the word of, hey, we can help you to get out of poverty and uh, and put their actions where their words are. So that makes this a very fulfilling job for me. Is there one uh, particular, I'm sure there's
0: so many people that you've come in contact with around the country who are doing this work as part of your organization, but is there one or two that that sticks out in your mind that uh, you want to tell us about?
4: Well, you'll, you'll get me in trouble, <laughs> because <laughs> every time I go to a place, I get a new great story. So yeah. I, I, I better pass on that. But, okay. <laughs> so we see examples all the time. What I can do is is ask your listeners to check us out on the um, EWTN uh, Catholic television station, where we have a weekly show called Our Faith in Action, Today's Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And rather than me giving you examples, each of the shows features three different examples of Vincentians working in different cities around the country. And it focuses on the Vincentian experience not so much the person getting help, but you see the intentions in what they do. And so very different episodes each week of uh, services that may only be in one community in the country, like there's a mobile dental lab in one. That, that mm-hmm. it would be great if we could replicate it, but but it's just impossible. And to other things like the home visit where we do everywhere. So it's a great visual diary, if you will, of the work that our society is doing across the United States. Well, it's on at different times, different months, but it, it's our called Our Faith in Action on EWTN.
0: I've seen that. On, on YouTube, and we'll provide a link to that on our website so that f- folks can uh, can check it out. Dave, when we, uh, when we think of St. Vincent de Paul, it's hard not to think of all the amazing thrift stores that are all around the country. Can you
4: tell us a little bit about that ministry? Yes, we have somewhere between 400 and 500 thrift stores. They're not in every community, but where we have them, they're an important part of our work. Uh, In many situations, we use the stores not only to sell goods and use the money raised to provide our services, but we also use the stores as a conduit to give things away. To people in need. There's a, a dignity that comes when a, a person in need can go shopping instead of just getting a handout. So we we'll use the stores, whether it's for clothing or furniture, kitchen goods, things like that, as, as a central uh, place to, to pick them up. But We also have uh, many cases where someone in need will go to the store because that's where they see our logo and our name and ask for help. And from that Interaction. We can put them in touch with other Vincentian volunteers who can do that home visit exercise that I mentioned before. So we can kind of get them into the the, the friendly system, if you will, of Vincentian service.
0: That's fantastic, Dave. Dave, I just want to thank you for your time today. This has been uh, just wonderful. If folks wanted to get involved with the society with their local council, can you tell us how,
4: how would they do that? Well, the default would be to go to our national website, which is www. S-V-B-P, as in St. Vincent de Paul, USA.org. But what I would always suggest first is to ask at your local parish. There may be a St. Vincent de Paul conference active right there, or if not, probably at the parish next door. Uh, many of the councils, which is that group of, of conferences that I told you about, are in the, the, the phone book and online. If you just put in St. Vincent de Paul in the name of your city, you'll probably see a couple of connections there. Uh, we're probably no more than a few miles from your home in one parish or another. And by the way, you don't have to join the conference that's with your parish. If the, if parish A is doing work that excites you more than parish B, or excuse me, conference A is doing work more than conference B that excites you, you know, you, you don't always have to join the one that's in your parish. Uh, go where, where the spirit
0: takes you. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you for your time today and thank you for all the great work that you're doing. God bless. I want to thank all of our guests for being on our show this week. Dave Beringer, Ralph Middlecamp, Joe Minogue, and of course, Brian Crimmins. Next week, we'll be traveling to Miami, Florida and interviewing participants of the Florida Regional Stewardship Conference, including Archbishop Wenski and national speaker and author Julianne Stans. Special shout out to Mackenzie O'Connor, Colleen Burdick, and Pottery Studios for helping us to shake off the dust and get this podcast up and running again. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit changingourworld.com. All right, that's it for me. Have a great week, everybody. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Take care, and God bless.